All right, if you guys want to find a way back to your seat, good to see you all this morning. Uh, I am looking forward to the uh, the potluck today. If you guys didn't know, it was bring your own hot dog. We just have the two condiments out there, and that's how we do it here, you know? So, now it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. If we have to pray for loaves and fish to be multiplied, we will do it, you know? It's an opportunity for faith, so... Um, all right, well, hey, it's, uh, if I haven't met you before, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here at, uh, at Christ the King Blaine, and we're thankful that you're with us. And um, we're gonna, we've been diving in over the last few weeks in a series in Daniel, uh, so we're going to continue that this morning. Um, I want to pray, though, before we jump into our, uh, to our message. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. And God, I do thank you for the sunshine. Uh, Lord, just reminds us of, of your light. And that when you bring light to our life, it gives us joy, um, and it just allows us to live freely. And so we thank you, God, for all that you're doing. As we turn our attention to your word today, I pray that you would open our hearts, um, that you'd open our minds, and that we'd be led by your spirit as we look at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so we've been in this, uh, in this series in the book of Daniel, and the focus of Daniel is really about faith and having faith in, a, in uncertain situations, in uncertain time, in an uncertain culture. Uh, Daniel, as you know, uh, might know, um, was, it was a, a young Hebrew boy who was taken from his home um, by an oppressive empire, the empire of Babylon, that destroyed his homeland and brought him to live in, in the capital uh, city. And he ends up working in the king's court. And so Daniel is is a young man full of faith um, who's put in a, an abrasive environment and basically uh, has to navigate his faith in that environment. And so we are in chapter 4 today. If you've been with us at all, you know that the, the main bad guy in this series has been King Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's been the one who uh, last week threw Daniel's friends into a fiery furnace and lo and behold, they survived because God was with them. He's the one who in his rage um, sentenced Daniel and his friends and, and his own wise men to death. So he's, he's an angry tyrant. But it's interesting in chapter 4, the spotlight turns from him being the bad guy to him being the main character. In fact, this is written as Nebuchadnezzar's account. It's like Nebuchadnezzar had one chapter in the Bible. What's interesting about the book of Daniel is that most of it is written in another language. It's written in Aramaic, um, which uh, most of all the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, except for this book is mostly written in Aramaic. So you imagine that this story is not just meant for the, the Hebrew Jewish audience. It's meant for a, a wide audience. And um, it's really interesting that he gets his own uh, his own story in this as well. And what we're going to see here is that through King Nebuchadnezzar and through his account, we get a message on pride. Pride is a tough thing to preach on, right? Pride is a tough thing to preach on because I'm telling you how to be less proud, and I've got to watch my own pride in that. Um, but sometimes when we use the word pride, we mean it in a positive way. If you tell your kids, I'm proud of you, that's an honoring thing, right? That means you bring honor to me. You bring me joy. You're, you, uh, you honor me. And, but that's not the kind of pride that Nebuchadnezzar was dealing with. 
Um, that's not the kind of pride that Nebuchadnezzar struggled with. Nebuchadnezzar's pride was thinking that he was bulletproof. He was impenetrable, he was immovable, he was unbeatable, because he was the king of the greatest empire that ever existed on the face of the earth till that time. So Nebuchadnezzar's pride was thinking that he was hemmed in and protected from any kind of danger, that nothing could get at him. And so this is the pride that we see displayed in Daniel 4. Pride is thinking we're secure in our own means. Pride is thinking that we create our own city. It's almost like we've created a buffer around ourselves, a buffer around our heart that's impenetrable. And so that's the kind of pride that we're going to look at today. And we might not have a powerful kingdom that we control, but we can still have a buffer around our hearts. We can still create a buffer around our hearts. Sometimes we create that buffer through money, through having lots of money, right? And then we have a nice house and a nice car and, and a private life, and that's our security. Sometimes that buffer is our own intelligence, our own wisdom, knowing more than the next person. Sometimes that buffer is even our own health. As long as I'm healthy, I'm okay. And I know my pride is attached to each of these things because when one of them is threatened, I, I, or when one of them is threatened, I respond in a reactive way. Like when money is tight in our household, I, I feel a little tight. Yeah. I feel a little tight. Like that's not the way it's supposed to be. Like I don't think I'm, I'm doing enough or... or uh, I've failed in some way. And culturally, we, we love abundance. We love abundance. Uh, we, we have a place called Costco, right? <laughs> Where you can go and spend six or $700 on groceries. I have a family of five, like that happens, right? It's easier than, than it sounds, um, right? <laughs> We can have bigger and better homes, vehicles, stuff in our lives. And if you don't have that, it's like you're missing out culturally on something really, really good. This week, as I was reading scripture, I came across Paul's instructions to Timothy. Timothy was a follower of Paul, following Paul into ministry, somebody that Paul um, mentored and brought up. And this is what he said in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. He said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here Paul is talking about a dual pursuit of pursuing ministry and pursuing money at the same time. And he's saying those who think they can acquire m money or status through, through their own godliness are wrong. And, uh, and it actually leads them into a trap of, that's going to lead to ruin and destruction. He doesn't mince words. What does he say, though? What does he say? He says, if I have food and clothing, I'll be satisfied. Like, if I have the basics, I'm going to learn how to be content with the basics. And again, it's having the basics plus Jesus, right? If I have Jesus plus the basics of life, 
I am good. I will learn to be content in whatever situation God has me in. And so pride is this pursuit of more of a buffer around ourselves, around our hearts. And so in this issue specifically, we need to ask ourselves, what's our real security? Is it in Jesus or is it in abundance? So we're going to back up 2,600 years from today. That's a little bit, a little bit of time. 2,600 years, and we're going to look at this story of Nebuchadnezzar, and he's dealing with the very same pride issue that you and I deal with on a day-to-day basis. So we're going to start, this is Daniel 4, chapter 4, verse 4. It says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon, when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. And then he says, he is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. That's how Nebuchadnezzar interprets Daniel, that he's got, a, he's got some kind of special sauce, spiritually. <laughs> so we find Nebuchadnezzar at home in his palace, and it says he starts out contented and prosperous. It's an interesting phrase. Really what it means is he is at ease in luxury. He is at ease in his luxury. And if anybody could be at ease in luxury, this guy could. This guy could. He had all the wealth of the world. He had a beautiful palace. He had all the power that anyone had ever had before, right? And Babylon is considered in in kind of a, a biblical lens as the most beautiful of the empires. And And those who are reading this would see him as untouchable. They would see him as unbeatable. They would see him as all-powerful. If we were to tell this story today, there's not really a direct comparison, but you could put Jeff Bezos in there. You could put Elon Musk. People we think, they don't need anything. They're not going away. They're going to be just fine, right? I mean, they control the stars, right? Starlink. It's it's, It's pretty cool. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do that. Nebuchadnezzar could not start a commercial airline to space. So, But they were at ease in luxury. But if you think about that, isn't that the goal of our culture? Isn't that what's being sold to you as an individual, to be at ease in luxury? I think of this. Think about Corona beer commercials, right? Snoop Dogg, there's a lime in the Corona. They're chilling on a beach. That's what's being sold to you. This is the good life. This is at ease in luxury. And here we have that disturbed. The king is disturbed again by a dream. And this time, Daniel is the only one who could tell him the answer. And maybe the king knew that, but he didn't want to go to Daniel first because he knew that he would tell him the truth. <laughs> He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to my other guys first and see, see what they have to say. Um, But he finally goes to Daniel. It says the word finally. Finally, he's like, okay, Daniel, tell me, tell me the truth. And what he does is he describes in there in his dream that there is this beautiful, vibrant tree kind of in the middle of a field. It's tall. He says it touches the sky. 
It's visible to everyone on the earth, and it's absolutely beautiful in appearance. It's overflowing with fruit. It's protecting little critters under it, you know. And then all of a sudden, a voice comes from heaven. And this is what the voice says, starting in verse 14. Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. The animals flee from under it and birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground. And let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. So Nebuchadnezzar sees this beautiful image of this tree, this flourishing tree with lots of shade protecting everything. It's beautiful and great. And then in the second part, it gets a little more pointed. It gets a little more pointed that uh, this, this tree or, or person will, will go crazy going from, you know, the, the mind of a, 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 of a man to a mind of an animal. And so Nebuchadnezzar brings this to Daniel, and you know that he's sensing some dread. Like, I, you know, I know, I, like, he probably has an inkling what it means, just a little bit. He kind of knows, knows maybe what it means. And so this is what happens in verse 19. It says, Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and has terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. I really like this pause. It's Daniel freaking out in the story. Faithful Daniel. Daniel, the guy who's going to like go face the lions. He's the one who's terrified. He's worried about what the dream says. And the king has to say, don't let it terrify you. Just, just tell me the truth. Don't let it terrify you. It means with Basically, we don't know how long that Daniel had been in the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar, but they had developed a fairly close relationship, like a trusting relationship where Daniel actually feels compassion to Nebuchadnezzar to the point where he doesn't want anything bad to happen to him. Even in this time, we know this is a peaceful time. And here we have Nebuchadnezzar reassuring Daniel that I'm, I'm ready for the truth. I'm ready to hear the bad news. I'm, I'm ready for it. Just tell me what it means. And you have to admire the courage of Nebuchadnezzar to be able to, to take whatever Daniel's going to tell him, right? To take the bad news. That he didn't want to live in a fantasy with people who would tell him what he wanted to hear. He wanted to live in the, in the truth, in the light. And so here we see Nebuchadnezzar already ready to surrender that pride, right? Already ready to embrace what this dream might be about. And so Daniel delivers the bad news to his boss. He tells him first that he's sorry that he has to bring this news. He wished it was news for one of his enemies. But here in verse 22, Daniel gets to the meaning of the dream. He says, Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant part of the earth. Let's get down to verse 25. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will pass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of it. Seven times will pass for you, by for you until you acknowledge. Seven times means seven years. Will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots 
means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And it may be that, that then your prosperity will continue. This is a lesson, and it's a hard lesson. You've reached a point now where you're going to have a hard lesson, Nebuchadnezzar. You're this beautiful tree. Uh, you've, you're living in opulence, but God is about to cut you down. Not just cut you down, not just take away your wealth, humiliate you. Um, like, people are going to be telling you to get off their lawn. Like, you're going to be munching grass with the cows out there on all fours. Like, that's humiliating, right? Like, Nebuchadnezzar is about to be completely knocked down, completely humiliated. And why? It's because of stubborn pride. That Nebuchadnezzar has refused to recognize God's place as, as king and lord. To acknowledge, acknowledge that he is the king. And so Daniel gives him some straightforward advice Renounce your sins. Repent. You can. You can do it. You can renounce your sins and repent. There's still time. And, and so this is advice. Daniel doesn't know if the judgment is happening. He's just saying the best thing you could do right now is to get right with God. You've received this warning. The best thing you can do right now is to get right with God. Turn to God for forgiveness and change your ways because God is merciful. And so... He does. He does initially, it seems like he does initially surrender. But, um, but you can see, too, that uh, Daniel's advice is, is for Nebuchadnezzar to just give up. That there's something in Nebuchadnezzar's life that he's been fighting God on. He's been fighting God on who gets the glory for his kingdom. And, and in, in Nebuchadnezzar's life, it, it created a rift between him and God. And I know for us, I know we fight with God over a lot of different things. A lot of different things in our lives. Uh, some things are big, some things are small. I mean, I fought God on video games I've played too much. Yeah. Um, I, fought, I, fight, I fought God. Sometimes when I'm stressed, I have this weird thing where I fantasize about moving to other places. I don't know if you guys ever do this, but I check Zillow in like the Midwest where houses are like a third of what they cost here. And I'm like, we could, we could buy a mansion in Nebraska. And I fought God on that. Um, but you know what? God is really patient with us. God is really, really patient with us and he doesn't give up. But the thing is, we can't really bargain with God. God doesn't really bargain. It's kind of like his way or the highway. It's kind of like his will or that's it. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. When God brings conviction, the best thing to do is to give up, is to submit, to surrender. The problem with pride is that it's really sneaky, right? We can be proud about a lot of different things. It's easy to pinpoint real big issues in our lives, but when we get to pride, uh, it, can, it can be really sneaky because it's sort of like a default mode for all of us. And that's what we see with Nebuchadnezzar here next in the story. In 28, what we see is that Nebuchadnezzar seems like he re repented for a while, and then 12 months later, he slips. He slips. It says, it says, this is what it says in verse 28. 
It says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon, he said, is, this not, is, is not this a great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority is taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails were like the claws of a bird. I would, there are no pictures. I would love to see some pictures, but it's pretty intense. So it took 12 months for Nebuchadnezzar to slip back, right? And to say, to, 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 uh, to, to, for that pride to well up and, and make himself the king again. And here he finds himself out in a field now eating grass with the cows and people telling him to get off my lawn. Like, what are you doing? So, what did he do? Did he forget? Did he ease back into comfort? It, it sure seems like it. It sure seems like he let his guard down. He, and he went back to praising himself. I built all this. It's, I am mighty. I am the best. Overconfidence in himself. And God quickly said, no, you're not, and I'll show you. I'll show you that I have control. I show, I'll show you that I am the king. You think I won't act, I will act. And his buffer is completely broken. And all of a sudden, he goes from being uh, impenetrable to completely vulnerable, out in the elements with the animals, a laughingstock to everybody who sees him. And so as I process this this week and what it means and, and what it meant back then, that they would have this account of a king admitting to this, what does it mean? It means this. No one lives outside the reach of God's discipline. No one lives outside the reach of God's discipline. We're all under the reach of God's discipline. And so if we're proud, if we're stubborn, God dressed in our lives. If we're unwilling to budge when God wants us to budge, he might break us for a while just to bring us back to him. Not because God is mean, but because God loves us and he wants to restore us in relationship to him. Now, you could be in a season of life where you already feel like you're down there. You already feel like you're exposed, you're humiliated. I want you to know this morning, that's a great place to be. Yep. Like if God's brought you to the end of yourself, that is the best place you can possibly be. Because God restores the humble, right? So if you, if you feel like you don't have a buffer, you can celebrate this morning that God is at work in your life. It's when we're unteachable, uncorrectable, or inflexible, when we hide. That's, that's when God addresses that pride. When we say life is good because of me, that's when we're in trouble. Because, friends, my, my heart for you is that if you wouldn't live out what is written in 1 Timothy 6, that you wouldn't, your life wouldn't head towards the edge of ruin and destruction, that you would just make it a point to get right with God. 
get right with God, and live a life of surrender. Life in Christ is a life of surrender. Not just once, but over and over and over again. This week I was on a walk. I was out in, uh, I was walking Point Whitehorn. There's a path there that goes down to the beach. And uh, there was a windstorm that came through recently, and these huge trees got blown over. And so it's just like, y you've seen trees like that, just pulls like huge amounts of dirt, uh, like the roots just pull everything out of the ground, leaves this huge hole. So on the path, right on the path, there's these two trees that got knocked over. And it reminded me of a video I, I saw in college. Um, called They were called the Numa series. They were really like hip and cool and edgy artsy Christian videos in like 2003 and uh, they're great and uh, they had this one it was like 30 seconds long but the image was a guy out in the middle of the woods with boxing gloves no shirt and he was just going to town on a big overturned tree and it's like he was trying to fight and move this tree and that's sort of the image the idea was that's what we look like when we try to fight God right like God is immovable we're not gonna. We're not gonna. We're not gonna change God's mind. Like he's he's too big. He's too big, and it's it's futile. It's like that image of futility. When we fight against God, we're really only hurting ourselves. And so surrender is not easy. It's not fun, but but it but it is what what is the best thing to do. Why fight God? Why fight God? I wanted to share a story this morning. I've been reading a book re recently that's really interesting, but also um, it's really powerful. And it's really powerful about the cost of obedience, the cost of surrender, and through the eyes um, of a really unique situation. And, uh, and I'll be up front, this story could be challenging to listen to. It might open up the door for a bigger conversation um, that I'm, I'm totally willing and ready to have, but the book is called Impossible Marriage, and it's written by a couple named Lori and Matt Craig, and they talk about their journey of obedience in trusting God in their marriage. They have what they call a mixed orientation marriage. Lori is primarily attracted to, to other women. That's her reality. That's, that's her experience. But she married a guy named Matt, who, who God led her to marry in a process of surrender. Um, and it, to be clear on this issue, because I know I'm diving into it right now, um, the, if, we, if we follow the Bible for what it says at face value, God intended marriage to be between a man and a woman. You know, so that's, that's, the, the, uh, uh, that's the place where we're coming from that God created the covenant of marriage to take place between a man and a woman. We were made to, to complement each other. But for Lori, that meant surrender. And that meant hard surrender. And it was a fight with God. And it was really beautiful to, 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 to re I, actually, I listened to this on Audible, just listen to her sh share her story. And she shared about this story of surrender in her marriage and a conversation she had with Jesus. And I'll tell you, this is not just about this issue. This is about all of us. But she, she said this. She said, this was her conversation with God. She said, how do I do this, Jesus? I asked. 
Dear one, that still small voice whispered, the only way you can turn from the fantasy your desires is to replace it with me. You need to trust me, trust that my heart, trust my heart for you, trust my love is enough, not Matt's love, my love. Matt is a gift for you, and I am enough for you. Okay, Jesus, okay, I said. I will try. That moment, that moment is a moment, it was a moment of breakthrough for, for Lori and Matt, where she resubmitted herself to God's plan for her, even though it was hard, even though it involved surrender that I can't relate to or understand. Powerful surrender. And it didn't mean it was easy, but it drew her close to Jesus, and it in increased the vibrancy of her relationship with God and the blessing in her life. And today, her and Matt are counseling other married couples about all sorts of issues. It's pretty powerful. So if you want to, if you want to know more, let me know. I'll show you. I'll I'll, uh, I'll show you guys where you can find the book. Um, but I wonder. I wonder, have you ever had a conversation with God? like Lori did where, where she submitted her struggle completely to him and if you haven't would you like to would you like to just spend that time just you and God surrendering whatever it is to him because what Lori's story shows us that repentance is not just resisting it's replacing it's replacing our desires with more of Jesus. More of Jesus. A closer walk with Jesus. She didn't want to renounce her faith in Jesus. And so there's a lot more to that story. That's just a, a little bit. But it challenges me, and I hope it challenges you, that, that we as people, we're not going to get everything that we want in life. But are we willing to be satisfied with Christ alone? Are we willing to be satisfied with Christ alone? Just Jesus. Just the peace and, and joy of being in the presence of God. Being his son, his daughter. Um, our, our church can't build good enough programs to compete with just having a close relationship with Jesus right? Let's just make it about that, having a close relationship with Jesus. And sometimes surrender hurts. It's difficult, but it's the best thing we could do to put ourselves in the center of God's will. So, what's the end of the story for Nebuchadnezzar? Was he still out there munching grass? Was he resigned to a life of people kicking off their property? This is what it says in verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures generation to generation. That's probably considering that's coming for Nebuchadnezzar. 26. At the time that my sanity was restored, my honor and my were returned to me for the glory of my name. Advisors and nobles brought me out, and I was restored throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, 
because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble this is nebuchadnezzar's conversion story this is nebuchadnezzar's come to jesus before come to god moment jesus in the future this is before jesus but god restored him god brought him honor through this process when Nebuchadnezzar finally laid down his pride, when he submitted to what God wanted. I mean, I don't know if there's a more stubborn person in Scripture than Nebuchadnezzar, but even after this dream, he, he slipped into non-repentance non and slipped up, and God had to reduce him to nothing to get his attention. But after God restored him, he finally recognized that God is God. God is God. His dominion lasts forever. And he chose to praise him. And the point of the whole passage is right there in Scripture. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Even the greatest, most uh, powerful people in the world, God is able to humble. And so where I want to end, end today, as we consider this, this message is, is for you as an individual. It's for your heart and God. And this is where I want to end today. God wants to break down our buffers so he can get to our hearts. That's what God wants to do today. God wants to break down whatever we have out, protecting us, our pride, whatever it is. He wants to take it down. He wants to take those walls down so he can build us up from a heart level. So if there are walls of self-protection that you've put up so that God can't get to you, Today is your day to say no more. I'm giving it up. I'm coming to a place of confession. I'm coming to a place where I'm seeking restoration. Whatever it might be, whether you're leaning on your money, intelligence, privacy, a habit, any, it could be anything. Whatever you're leaning on, whether it's a crutch, whatever, would you be willing to say, God, I've been stubborn? Would you be willing to admit that this morning? God, I've been really stubborn about this. And I'm ready for you. I'm ready to replace it with you in a greater relationship with Jesus. God wants us to be changed through bringing these things to him, through agreeing with him, yes, I've been stubborn about this. He wants us to choose him over ourselves. The beautiful thing is, we have all the grace in the world at the cross. Jesus would lead us straight to the cross and, and forgive us. That's where forgiveness flows. That's where restoration starts. Christ's blood covering you. Not only that, you have a helper and a comforter. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you to guide you and encourage you and shape you. And not only that, you have the church. You have brothers and sisters here to walk alongside you as you journey. Not alone, not just you and God, but us together. So let's praise God this morning. He is with you and for you. I want to end with this encouragement. This is from John Piper. He said, Whatever is lost for the sake of Christ and his gospel will come back to you a hundredfold. No matter what or how much, you, if you sacrifice, you cannot end up with less. I love that. If you sacrifice, you cannot end up with less. 
because God is going to give you more. That's what we saw with, with Nebuchadnezzar, right? God is going to replace whatever you're holding on to with something so much greater. So, if we want more of God, the place to start is surrender. And I'm going to invite Ricky to come up. We're going to actually end with the song, I Surrender All. And um, I heard somebody say one time, he didn't really like the song Surrender All because it felt like people were saying, I surrender some. People would sing it, and he's like, I don't know if they were really surrendering. I would encourage you all. If you need to kneel, if you need to talk to someone, if you need to, if, if you need to share, um, man, this is a great place to do that. And then I'm, after we worship this morning, I'm, I'm going to come up and pray for the food. Hope you brought your hot dogs. Um, <laughs> but let me, let me pray, and, uh, and then we're going to close in worship this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you are good and we can trust you with everything. Lord, that you are not far from any of us. God, that, that when we need to turn, when we need to, when we need to come back to our Father, you actually run and meet us. You don't make us take the long walk of shame back, watching with your foot tapping and your arms crossed. Lord, you run and embrace your children. You, you actually are willing to get undignified in coming to us and embracing us and restoring us. Lord, you know what's on our hearts and, and minds. God, when we talk about surrender, it's not abstract. There are real life things, God, that you're at work in each of us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pull those things, the things that are tugging at our heart this morning. And in Jesus, would you wrap around us in your arms, Lord? Lord, would you help us not to resist your move, but move with you? Lord, let us not fight the unfightable. Let us not fight the immovable. Let us surrender and be restored. Because you're not just big and tough and and, and impenetrable, God, you actually made yourself vulnerable. You actually came to our space. You actually died for us so that there could be a way of restoration, so that our sin wouldn't be hanging over us, but that it would be forgiven. So Jesus, we just want to receive more of you this morning. There is grace. There is hope there is a future and it's and it goes through you so lord i pray that you would lead us holy spirit closer to you this morning in jesus name amen let's stand and, and